0: The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I'd ask that you turn with me to the book of Genesis. As you uh, continue to pray for me, I trust. Um, I want to share some things with you here this morning that have been on my mind and on my heart for some time. You know, we stand at a point in... And our faith, in, in a historical moment, you know, everything seems to be a crisis. Everything, we've got, the, we've got the food crisis, we've got the health crisis, we've got the climate crisis. Everything's a crisis, but what we fail to look at is the crisis of our faith, of, of Christianity. Now, there is, a, there is a fundamental doctrine that we hold to be true among the primitive Baptists. And that is that Jesus saved his people from their sins, period. Now, the sad thing is that that is not the majority, that is not the doctrine that, are, that is held by the majority of Christians, I would say. Let's look, at, let's look at Genesis 1. I want us to go here and talk about this. Now, we can look at this from so many different ways to prove that Jesus saved his people from their sins period, and we have looked at that many times from this pulpit. We've looked at, you know, scriptural uh, passages that that support the doctrine that we get our doctrine from. We can look in Ephesians, we can look in Romans, we can look at all these places. Today I want to present to you another argument based on Scripture, which is if we look at all of the accounts in Scripture that we can in the, the time that we have, we can compare God's work Versus man's work. Because if, if you want to tell me that my salvation, that my seat in heaven would be based on something that I do, that from the, from the authority of the Word of God, I don't really have a lot of faith that that's going to that's happen. Okay? Because we see from direct evidence in Scripture that the Bible contradicts that doctrine for one. But we also see that there is evidence of a routine practice throughout scripture of man falling short and god coming in and delivering now if we if we were to have a trial you know there's there's many different types of evidence that is that you can use in a trial brother chris could could tell you this better than i could one obviously is direct evidence we have we have direct evidence uh testimonial of, of uh, direct scriptures that say it's by grace alone that you're saved. But another form of evidence that, that you could use is what is called habit, or if it's a, a corporation, routine practice. You can say that this is how it is. Every day this person gets up, this is a part of their routine every single day. Now, on this day, we don't know what they did, but we can guess that it was in compliance with their normal routine, right? right. So what I want to go through is the, the routine practice of us as sinful human beings. And I want to see if we get to the end of that, if you feel confident that if it were left up to you, you could save yourself for heaven. So let's look here at Adam and Eve. I said Genesis 1, let's go to Genesis 3, we're just going to skip ahead. God made man. He made us upright. He put us in this beautiful environment. We like to, we like to blame our circumstances and our environment so much. <laughs> but God put them in a perfect and beautiful environment. We mess things up. And Genesis 3 and verse 1 it says Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I don't know if you remember God saying that, but he didn't say that. (laughs) He didn't say you don't touch it. He just said don't eat of it. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, man. You notice that Satan begins by questioning the word of God. He said, Yea, hath God said. If you ever get to the point where so many of, of so many Christians today have gotten to, where they are, they're so afraid of this cancel culture, they're so afraid of the, the social pressures against them, that they begin to make compromises on what the Word of God says and have gotten to the point where some say, well, there's no way that all all the science that shows about evolution, there's just no way that there was a literal six days of creation. And so they begin to concede that. And you know what ends up happening? They end up saying that the book of Genesis is not inspired by God. Well, if the book of Genesis is not inspired by God, then why do we even consider any of the rest of it to be inspired by God? Satan begins to question the Word of God. And once you crumble that away, we have nothing left. We should be zealous defenders of the Word of
1: God. So he begins by questioning the Word of God, and then he begins to twist it, Even to this
0: point, with an outright lie, ye shall not surely die. Well, either God was was telling us the truth in the garden, and the day that they ate of it, they died, or Satan was telling the truth, and they didn't die. What do you think is more likely, right? I believe it is absolutely uh, certain that God told us the truth, that when we ate of that fruit, we died. You know, many, many people, as we're talking about this doctrine that God saved his people from their sins, or you've got to do something to be saved from your sins. Many people view it like this, that you're out there in the water, you're, you're, you're swimming, you're struggling, and God tosses you a lifeline, right? And then it's up to you to reach out and grab it. And that example makes sense, right? Well, except that's not the case, <laughs> You're not out there struggling in the water. Did we die in the garden or did we not die in the garden? We died in the garden. You're not out there struggling to swim. You're out there and you've already drowned. Right? Right? right. So he doesn't doesn't just toss you a lifeline. He comes and he gives you life. And he raises you out of the water. It's a miracle. So did we die in the garden or did we not die in the garden? you want to believe Satan or do you want to believe God? And I, by the way, I should have said this from the beginning. I do not mean to be critical about this. I, I love many brothers and sisters of that, of that line of thinking. And so does our Savior, okay? We ought to be generous and loving. But at the same time, we can love people that we disagree with. But at the end of the day, I want it to be known where I stand, okay? I, I believe in my Savior. I believe that He saved me from my sins. Amen. Let's continue here. So you shall not surely die. What a lie. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. Now this, now that other one, that's a lie for sure, that, that you shall not surely die. But this is the great lie of all time, Amen. that when you eat of that fruit, you shall be as God's. Man, doesn't that just appeal to every fiber of our being? God created us as, as sentient beings who can, who can make decisions. And He made us with one sole purpose in our minds, is to worship, is to worship God. The problem is that we perverted that and we turned and we started worshiping ourselves. Worshipping other things. Whether, whether somebody considers themselves to be an atheist, an agnostic, a Christian, a Muslim, whatever they consider themselves to be, they worship something. Right. They, they are born that way. They are made to worship. You're either going to worship God or you're going to worship yourself.
1: Amen. And we'll see this as we, as we go forward. So what happens after they fall? Well, they... they
0: begin to see their shame. They begin to see that they're naked. So what do they do? Well, they, they try to cover their shame. That's all that our life is, right? In this world is a series of shame and covering our shame. And so what do they do? Man, let's start comparing man's work and God's work. They take some fig leaves. Can you imagine... Uh, uh, any worse alternative (laughs) to cover to cover your shame in than some itchy fig leaves and you want to cover yourself in that and not only not only is it itchy and just uncomfortable in general but they're not going to last it's not going to stand the test of time and the rigors of life what does God do God God makes them skins of animals. He makes them animal skins. Now, what a, what a gracious and loving God that we have, that although it was my fault, it was our fault that we fell. It was Adam's fault, but, but if I'd been there, I'd do it the same. We fell in sin,
1: yeah.
0: but yet we have a gracious and loving God that comes to us, and he gives us these, these skins of, of animals, which is far more comfortable, right? And it'll stand the test of time better than fig
1: leaves will. Let's go on to to Genesis 4. So God made the first sacrifice. Sacrifice of those animals.
0: Now here we have another account of a sacrifice. Cain and Abel sacrifices. In verse 3, it said, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and unto his offering, but unto Cain and unto his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Of course, we know what happens. Cain is overcome with his jealousy and his envy of his brother that he kills him. Well, what is it about these, these, these sacrifices they made? I often wondered this. What, what is it that makes the Lord pleased with Abel's and not pleased with Cain's? Obviously, you know, we see in Scripture that even, even the plowing of the wicked right, is, is unrighteousness. I believe there's a sense in which it's about the person bringing the offering, that he had respect of Abel, and his, and his offering, but he did not have respect of Cain or his offering. Okay, you see that? But also this, I want, you to, I want you to notice this. What did Abel bring? Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock. He brought the very best that he had. But notice this. Notice the difference between something, something fruit of the ground and fruit of the flock. Okay, I know many of you our farmers are, are well-versed with that, at least. You know the difference. It's, it's work either way, for sure. But when, when you're bringing forth this animal, what did you do in, in, in bringing that animal up? Really, what you, you basically just gave it a safe place and let it do its own thing. Right. It, it grew. You just had to give it a a nice place for it to happen. Whereas in bringing forth the fruit of the ground, you have to till that ground, you have to weed that ground, you have to plant,
1: and then you have to harvest. You see the difference? On the one hand, you've got the work, the work of man, all the
0: works that you put into this thing that you're bringing before God. And on the other hand, you've essentially got the work of God. And raising up this animal.
1: When it comes down to it, God is pleased with His work far more than He's pleased with your work. When He got done creating this world, He said, it is good. He was satisfied with that. How many times do you feel like you're satisfied with the work that you do? Let's skip on down. After a few generations, we get to
0: Noah. This is a good illustration of, of man's work. God gives Noah a task because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He gives him this task to build this ark, and man, it probably took a long time to build this thing. It's huge. I don't know if any of you have gone to the, the Creation Museum and the ark and seen the, the scale. They tried to build it to scale as best they could. And it is, it is monstrous. But despite all of the work that man put into it, despite all the work that Noah put into that ark, who was it that delivered Noah and his family? It was God. God brought the rain. God, in, in fact, actually closed the door in. God gets the glory for saving that family, not Noah. And then after, after the Lord wipes out the population, which, by the way, is a, is a testament to His work, that He can wipe off the face of the planet just like that. Then after a few generations, we come to the Tower of Babel. When all, all of mankind was gathered together and they said, let's, let's just turn there, Genesis 11.
1: Genesis 11 and verse 4 and they said, Go to, let us build us a
0: city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Man, that great lie of all time has come back. They have said, We are so powerful and so great. That we can be as gods, that we can build up this civilization, we can build up this tower up to heaven, we can we can attain unto God through our ingenuity, through our power. I mean that's exactly what we're still trying to do today, right, with technology. We're eventually trying to solve the, the problem of death, which will not be solved, we're trying to reverse aging.
1: They were doing this here and trying to build up a tower, a, a literal tower up to God.
0: And all of the work that they poured into that, and, and, and you compare that with God's work, what did he do? He came down and he confounded them. I don't, know if he, I don't know if he came down and destroyed the tower, or if he just confused their languages so that they could no longer communicate and they had, just had to just split up. But it's interesting, you know. I've I've often wondered, you know, how did how did people get in every continent in the world? How did that happen? Well, this this is just speculation, okay? So you can take it for what it's worth. I, I believe it was during this time, because if you see through the generations that there was a man named Peleg that would probably have been around this time being alive. It said during those days the world was divided. I believe that 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 was when the continents shifted apart. Once they divided the the nations, uh, and they shifted apart, and the Lord just divided them and said, this is how it's going to be now. So,
1: you know, man tried to build this tower, right? But God divided the world. What about
0: after a few generations after the Tower of Babel, we get to Abraham, or Abram, but I'm just going to go ahead and call him Abraham. Abraham is a walking example of man's work versus God's work. You see it over and over again. First of all, we see it in Genesis 12 and verse 10. What does he do? There's a famine in the land and he panics. He goes down into Egypt. He he resorts to the world to have his help. Egypt is, is almost always a type of the world, a type of sin. So he goes and he turns to the world for answers. He goes down there, and then as he's walking in, can you imagine this scene? As he's walking in and he turns over to his wife and he says, all right, here's the deal. You're, you're a pretty woman. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to tell everybody you're my sister because I don't want to get killed for you. <laughs> right? And if they ask you, I'm your brother. That's the story we're sticking with. And so, lo and behold, his, his ingenuity and man's work, they go down in there, and, and that's the story they stick with. And so they see she is a fair woman. She's a beautiful woman. So they, uh, Pharaoh's court, they, they take her. And, and Abraham never said anything. He was sticking
1: to his story. Look, man's work. You see it? You see it stacking up. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife.
0: Egypt better get used to it. (laughs) Some more plagues are coming, right? (laughs) So what happens is that the Lord preserves and protects her from anything happening to her. Abraham wasn't going to do it. He was going to lie about it. But God came in and delivered and protected her from anything happening to her. To the point where Pharaoh was, was upset with, with Abraham. said, why did you lie to me about this? Take her back. Leave. And, and I, want to, I want to just keep this in mind as we're, as we're going through the rest of these examples. We see this time and time again. Man's work and our role, I guess if if it were, as the covenant breakers. That's that's the role that we play in this great story of history, is the covenant
1: breakers. God is the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. Praise God. And We see then, we go on down to Genesis 15, and I want to spend a little time here very quickly. And I've shared this with you many times.
0: Verse 7 of of Genesis 15, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto them... All these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece uh, one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. I've shared this with you before. Uh, What's happening here? You know, we read in the New Testament where God tells us about His nature. He says by two immutable things that we we will know that that. His covenant is sure. I'm I'm paraphrasing that, of course, but (laughs) essentially what we have is we have one immutable thing is that God cannot lie, that God's word is true. He says this to Abraham, and then Abraham says, well, how will I know that's the case? So then by the second immutable thing that God gives us, He covenants it to us. I'm not just talking about this specific covenant. I'm talking about the covenant of redemption. He made a covenant. He didn't, have to, he didn't have to assure us of anything, but he recorded it for us, right. for further assurance for us. And so that's what's happening here. The Lord is giving Abraham assurance in like manner that we would have when we would record a contract and have the parties sign. That's what they're doing here. It was a form of having this, this uh, contract, this consideration laid out here, that they would have this. This blood path is a very dark and bloody thing. Man, praise God that the practice of law is not like this, right? You might as well just call me a butcher. Every time I do a covenant or a contract, I'd have to get the animals out, and we'd have to divide them up and walk through it together. But they would, the parties would walk through this bloody path together. That would be their covenant. If any of us breaks this
1: covenant, let me be like those animals, broken. What does God do, though? I love this man. I love it.
0: They get ready, as you would, to, to pass through that. And then the sun was going down. A deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Talking about Egypt. And also that nation... Whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun was da- went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces.
1: God makes this covenant with Abraham. But as usual, the two parties that would walk through together,
0: it didn't happen that way. God Himself walked through this by Himself, thus signifying to us, if any part
1: of this covenant not be fulfilled, may I be broken. We see again, God, the covenant maker and the covenant keeper, Let's skip on down here. We'll go to Genesis 20. You know, it's funny because Abraham, just like us,
0: now keep in mind, he is the father of the faith. He is is considered to be a faithful man that, that God Himself considered Abraham's faith and counted it to him for
1: righteousness. Not righteousness to save him to heaven, but he was deemed to be a righteous man in this time.
0: But, once again, he goes down uh, in Genesis 20. Let me get that for you. He goes down amongst Abimelech and his people, and he says, all right, Sarah, here's the deal. You're, you're a pretty woman, and so I'm on a, you're, you're my sister, okay? And I'm your brother. That's the story we're going to stick with. So they they go in there, same setup, same situation. You see man's work of doubting and also not holding up his end of the bargain to be Sarah's husband
1: no matter what, right? And then, once again, they take Sarah and did Abraham come
0: in and deliver her? No, God did. God, it said, I'll show you this. Verse 6, it said, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. God prevented anybody from touching her. In a supernatural way. Man, you see it again. Man messes up and God delivers. It is a reoccurring theme in Scripture. We saw it in, in in the garden, which we have not yet gotten to the point where that's fulfilled. We see it in in uh, Noah. We see it in the Tower of Babel. We see it in Abraham and his life multiple times. Not to mention what comes up in the next chapter, where the Lord had, had promised Abraham
1: a seed, and he, the father of the faith. His faith wavered. That, that gives me encouragement. That he he wavered so much that he said, "Okay, i I've,
0: the time the clock is ticking. I've got to help God out." And so they came up with this scheme where he would have a child by another woman. Man, isn't it so amazing how when you try to help
1: God out, <laughs> you, you you turn to things that are not even pleasing to him at all.
0: So they try to help God out, and what ends up happening? Ishmael comes out of that, of that pursuit of trying to help God out. Can you imagine a world where Ishmael did not happen? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the Middle East being a place of peace? There's not warring factions continuously? Or can you imagine a world where 9 11 never happened? I'm not saying that that would have been the case, but uh, Ishmael's descendants are, are, are the people that war with Jerusalem and warred with the Israelites ever since. When you try to help God out, it doesn't really it doesn't work, oh, <laughs> okay? It, why then, on the biggest decision of all time? The redemption of his people, would he leave it in our hands? When he he knows. <laughs> he knows that every
1: time man tries to do something, they mess it up. And praise God, he didn't leave it to me. You know, the,
0: the best decision in my life was to marry Meredith, right? And to join this church, I'd say. Apart from that, I make a lot of bad decisions. Praise God that He didn't leave it up to me to make that decision that was the most important
1: decision ever. Amen. We see that, that, that the Lord commands Abraham to sacrifice Isaac.
0: And, and Abraham this time is obedient. And He goes up there
1: to sacrifice Isaac. Being obedient this time. And what does God do? God delivers. God's work comes in to deliver with that ram caught in a thicket. I mean, how many times do you read about man,
0: some man in Scripture being the hero, (laughs) right?
1: I mean, Samson, some hero he is, right? He's kind of trashy. But God comes in and delivers,
0: restores His strength to him. So then we come down to Isaac, and i really got to move along. So we've come down from Abraham now to Isaac. What does Isaac do? You know, you learn things from your parents. And you parents, you you teach things to your children whether you realize it or not. Because guess what Isaac does? He also visits Abimelech and his people. And he's got his pretty wife, Rebekah, with him. You see where this is going? You remember this? He says to Rebekah, he says, look, You're a pretty woman. So I'm your brother. And you're my sister. Same thing happens. Man's work gets them in a pickle, and the Lord's work comes in and delivers them from it. Praise God. The Lord protected her from any consequences of that. Which I, I have to say this at this point. I know you've heard this story so many times. We went to singing school one time. Meredith, you know where I'm going. <laughs> went to singing school one time, and they said, these are the rules. No PDA. And Meredith and I were dating at the time. And so Meredith, being the, the perfect rule follower that she is, <laughs> she says, all right, that means no PDA. And so, you know, things went on like normal with everybody else. You know, Prim to Baptist, we hug people, right? Well, not with Meredith. When it came to Meredith, it was like no PDA. <laughs> so, so I can't tell you how many times when uh, people were sitting there talking with me and Meredith, and they thought I was the weirdest brother in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging around her. I had, I, had, I had guys ask me if she was dating somebody. <laughs> and I said, yeah, she's dating me. I'm not her brother. Anyway, that's just it's too it's too perfect. It's too perfect. So, anyway, we'll we'll leave that behind. Praise God, we'll leave that behind. <laughs> then we come down to Jacob. Jacob and all of his trickery. Man, he tricked so many people. Yet we see this that God loved Jacob and he hated Esau. He was he was setting this this example to us of His election, how it's of His mercy. You know, if, if I had to look down through time, through the, through the actions that somebody would, would commit, you know who I would choose? I would choose Esau, probably, if I had to choose one of the two. I mean,
1: I, I don't know if I would want to choose Jacob, this trickster, God did of His mercy. You see, it's not, about, it's not about you and your
0: actions. You know, He didn't look down through your whole life and, and say, Oh, this person is a good person. They will love me. They will accept me. So therefore, I will choose them. No, God looks down and He chooses you despite yourself. Man, what a, what a revelation! <laughs> What a revelation to realize that His love for me is not really about me. It's not really about
1: my actions and the things that I can contribute to Him. It's about His mercy. When we get there in heaven together, it'll be by the blood of Christ. It'll be by
0: His mercy. And as we worship Him, we won't be worshiping each other we won't be worshiping ourselves. We will be worshiping the Lamb slain,
1: the person who redeemed us from our sins. God the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. We come down to Joseph.
0: Man, Joseph, what, what an example of man's work. As at every stage of Joseph's life, man tried Man worked against him and tried everything they could hurl at him. Joseph was betrayed. He was sold into slavery. He was
1: bought. He was promoted. He was tempted. He was framed. Falsely imprisoned. Promoted again in prison. Forgotten in prison. Finally remembered. Delivered, majorly promoted, this time, to second in command of Egypt. Vindicated, reconciled,
0: and God provided all the way, Amen. despite man's works. Amen. At, every, at every level of that, you know, some might say that God orchestrated all these things to happen in his life. That is a lie. Amen. I will say that. I'm going to take a hard stand on that principle. I I will not stand. Now, I will fellowship with you and love you. But if we disagree on this, on God orchestrating all things to happen, it is going to have to come a point where we have a break. Because that changes the nature of our God. You realize that if we say that God made this woman tempt Joseph and made her frame him We have to, we have to come to the conclusion that God is the author of sin. And I will not stand for that. Because that
1: changes the nature of our God and makes Him a puppet master. Now, here's what I believe happened. Is that at every level you have man trying to thwart and God
0: overruling. Amen. I believe God could have gotten Joseph there in any number of ways. But man came in, they they first they were going to kill him, but but God delivered. He was just sold into slavery. And then as he got there, God delivered and got him to this this elevated him to this promoted level and then man comes again and and hurls whatever they can at him and he gets imprisoned. And then God overrules again. You see, we have the great overruler, the great covenant keeper. He will keep His covenant to His people. And then generations later, we have Israel delivered from Egypt. And you see, God's work triumph over man's work in such a mighty way. The greatest civilization and nation on this planet, Egypt at that time, and all of the might and all the wealth and all the power that they had, God comes in, and not the people. God didn't didn't give them weapons and arm them and say, Now overthrow, overthrow Egypt. No, God sent plagues. God afflicted Egypt to the point where Egypt sent the Israelites out willingly. Now that is a God. Now that is a God that we can worship and should worship. And you, and you notice this, there were a few of those plagues that the magicians and sorcerers, whether it be through trickery or cunning, or whether it be through some dark magic or something else, they were able to replicate some of these plagues, right? But it got to a point, <laughs> it got to a point where they could not keep pace, that, that this world may seem to promise that it can, it can deliver, that it can heal you that it can remove cancer from you, that it can deliver you from all your problems. But there comes a point where even the world's best that it can offer
1: cannot keep pace with the power of God. Man's work and God's work. Then we come down to
0: Israel in uh, in the wilderness. And you see this time and time again. How How many places can we see it where... It seems as if man's role in the midst of that was to complain. To complain about everything. Everything was a crisis. We've got a food crisis. We've got a water crisis. We've got a snake crisis. You know, everything to them was some new reason for them to go back to Egypt. But yet you see God deliver in such mighty ways through those pillars to guide them the pillar of fire and the pillar of the cloud and the, and the Red Sea divided and, and delivering them through the battles that they had even though they were, they were not trained. I mean, they had generations of being in this protected civilization. They, these weren't warriors at this time. But God delivered them. What about the waters of Marah? About the manna that God rained down on them from heaven and the waters from the rock Twice. And what about that quail that He gave them as a sweet refreshment as a, to, to break up the monotony? And delivering them from those serpents, that great type of Jesus Christ, that bronze serpent that was to be raised up just as our Savior was raised up on the cross? Man, man's role is the complainer. God's role is the provider. Amen. And then they cross Jordan. The Lord divides the waters of the Jordan and they get there to Jericho, this one of the first, if not the first, walled city. This is a great city, wealthy city from all the, from all the salt around there. And what did they do? Did they, did they get some explosives like the Navy SEALs would and, and, and blow up this wall? No, the Lord just made the wall fall flat. God provides and then you see in, in those days and in, in warring to, to capture the promised land, as the Lord
1: causes the sun to stand still in the sky, can man do that? And we come to the time of the judges. And that, I mean, i am tell you, that is an example of man's work
0: messing things up, then God sending a deliverer through his work Amen. to provide. Time and time again. And you come down to the birth of
1: Samuel, the last of the judges and the, and the first of the prophets. Once again, God's work. His, his birth at all was God's work. His
0: mother was barren. His mother could not have a child. And God overruled and provided for Samuel to be born. Man, what a, what a sweet blessing of God that He would raise up this man who would be probably one of the greatest and most unfailing men of God that we read of in Scripture. That He would ordain two kings of Israel. That He would be the man that these kings would lean on and would go to for the Lord's advice. And then you have, of course, Saul and David. Man, every part of their life is an example of man's work paired with God's work. And how God's work was so much greater. Amen. And you come to the times of the kings, and in those, in those period of time, you have a lot of wicked kings, and you have the, the days of Elijah and Elisha. And man, God delivering in so many mighty ways, despite the circumstances being against them.
1: Then we come to the captivity and the life of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. The the furnace in in
0: those Hebrew young men. The best that man can do to come against you is so quickly overruled by the power of God. And then we come to the days of Ezra and Nehemiah and some of the other minor prophets and you see God Delivering them in ways that they could never imagine. And then we come all the way to the days of Jesus. Our Savior. The great answer to that problem that we, that we read about in the very beginning, that when we fell in sin with man's work, God answered with His work. And Jesus coming. His birth. His ministry, His death. You think about the cross and all of the insults and all of, all of the creativity that man brought up to torture this man. To torture your Savior. That they hung plaques above Him mocking Him and they, they uh, smote Him and they plucked His beard hairs. And even the people crucified with Him mocked Him. And the people walking by mocked Him. And He was abandoned. All that man did was abandon God, was give up on Him.
1: But God delivered. Praise be to God that because of His work, because of His power, we will get to see Him and be with Him. Hold his hands. And we look at the, 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 the acts of the apostles, and I know I've got to
0: close. We look at the times of the apostles and all that man would do to throw against them everything they could. And how God delivered them in many ways, delivered them from prisons, delivered them even sometimes, and most of the time, and well, ended up being all the time, through death through their death as martyrs. You see, even the best that man can do is kill you. And God's work is so much greater that He has turned now because of the blood of Christ. He has turned our worst enemy into one of the sweetest friends. I am not suicidal. I I will struggle to be here in this life as long as God gives me breath. But when death comes, that, what a sweet thing.
1: Amen. That when I breathe my last, I will see my Savior, the one that my soul longs for. Amen. And then you see, even, even past the times of the apostles that we we'll read about in
0: Scripture, even, even through all of history, where you see the church being persecuted, where you see true believers out there being uh, being burned at the stake and being, uh, being stoned and crucified and mocked. You know, this, the culture that we live in with the cancel culture and all of that is not a new thing. It's been around for a long time. Think about those poor Christians there in, in Nazi Germany. As they struggled against what they knew to be right. But all the social pressures pushing them in a different direction. And as many of them that would stand ended up dying in concentration camps. You see, man's work will hurl everything it can against
1: you, but God's work is so much greater, so much better. So I'll close here with that. You know, I believe that
0: God saved His people, period. I believe that because the Bible teaches that. And there are many verses that we can go to that are directly on point about that piece of doctrine. But also this argument that I've been trying to make to you today. Do you truly believe that God, being the gracious and loving God that He is, knowing your failures and your tendencies to fail, and all of, all of the routine practice and the habit of humankind through all of history that we see laid out here and the hundreds of examples that I left out for the sake of time. Do you truly believe that when it came down to your redemption, that God would leave it in your hands? No, we see time and time again, as I mentioned. We are the covenant breakers. We mess things up and God fixes it. No, God left it in His own hands because He actually loves you. (laughs) He actually does love you. His his love for you is so real that He did not put it up to chance. He did not leave it in your hands that you might fail again. When He delivered them from Egypt, what did He do? Did He leave it in their hands to make the right decision? As a matter of fact, they argued against Moses. No, no. Egypt cast them out, right? They had no choice but to leave. God delivers because He loves His people. Amen. I hope that's an encouragement to us. That is a fundamental principle. When people ask us what we believe as Primitive Baptists, we like to say, well, we, we don't believe in, in, uh, in pianos, and we don't believe uh, in, any, in Sunday schools and youth groups and, and mission boards and all this stuff that... that people may or may not even care about. The truth is, here's our answer. We as Prem to Baptists believe that Jesus saved His people from their sins. Amen. Period. That's it. I hope that's an encouragement to us. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at
1: zionpbc.com.